like to ask you a question tonight as we begin our lesson. What comes to your mind when you hear the word amen? Amen. Uh, maybe, maybe the first thing that comes to your mind as well, that's you know, what we're supposed to say after we say a prayer, right? As if it's maybe like a, a magical formula that every prayer you know, has to end with that word amen. Um, I don't know, uh, you know, I'm too, uh, I guess, young to know about this, but maybe there are some here who remember uh, church buildings who uh, would have uh, the old amen corner. Are you familiar with that? Uh, where, where there would be these pews sort of perpendicular with the, the pulpit uh, as you walked in, and there would be certain men that would be sitting in those pews, and as the preacher would be preaching his message, they would be constantly amening uh, the, the, the lesson, uh, or pretty much after everything the preacher would say. You know, you'd be hearing amen, amen, amen. Uh, maybe maybe you're a golf fan, and maybe you know you know the the Augusta National, uh, one of the hardest uh, tours, one of the hardest uh, tournaments in all of golf. And there's the 11th and 12th hole and 13th hole, and you remember that's referred to as Amen Corner uh, because of how hard it is. And a lot of golfers say they need to say a prayer before they uh, attempt to take on those holes because they're so hard. Or maybe uh, when we think of the word amen, maybe you think of that controversy that happened a couple of years ago when the congressman came up and, and as he was offering a prayer before Congress, ended it by saying amen and a woman. And he was doing that to get under some people's skin, I believe. Uh, but uh, in, in any case, what comes to your mind when you hear that word? The word amen, it is a powerful powerful word in the scriptures. It's a power word among God's people, actually. But today, you know, it seems to be fading away a little bit, I would have to say. Uh, I don't know if we truly appreciate what that word means. Amen. And so the idea of this night's lesson actually was spurred on uh, by Wes's devotional a couple of weeks ago when he did the singing lesson. Uh, remember, he talked about the, there's that meme that he had saw that, that talked about, you know, uh, uh, Getting, you know, knowing the strength of a congregation by, by the babies you hear and also the singing men. And I was kind of thinking about that as well. And I was thinking, well, maybe we could add uh, the amening uh, that goes on in congregations as well to that. Because, again, you just don't hear it as much today. And so tonight what I want to do, a little bit of a different lesson. Hopefully you brought your Bibles because we're going to look at a different um, passages. Or maybe if you picked out an outline to kind of just keep track of the, the scriptures that we're going to go through tonight is more of a word study of this word, amen. Uh, this word, amen, comes from the Hebrew. In its original sense, it just simply meant firm. Uh, but that word has gone through the Hebrew language into the Greek language. It's in our New Testament as well. And then it's translated into the English word, amen. It comes straight. Uh, that's how you would say it in Greek, amen. And so that's where it comes from. And it's used quite a bit of time in the scriptures. So we, we see it all the time. And uh, there's actually a lot more instances that we see that word amen in the scriptures. And, but I'm going to point to that once we get to the end of the lesson, and I'll explain that later. But this is a word that's used in Christianity. It's used in Judaism, uh, the Jews. And also it's used in Islam. Right? This is an old word. And uh, it's widely used. But the, the meaning of it, the meaning of the word amen is simply this. So be it. So be it. Or may it be. Uh, we might say today, uh, I agree with that. Or I affirm that. 
And so in tonight's lessons, what we're going to do is basically we're just going to uh, notice four different categories, four different pots of you know, how this word amen comes in the scriptures. And we're going to do that. And some of them are going to be very subtle. Some of them, you know, you might say, well, that's, that point sounds like the last point. And it does. It's very similar. But it's still good to notice uh, how this word is used in its context uh, in multiple cases. And so we're going to look at these four nuances of amen in the scriptures. And the first one is the one I think we're most familiar with. But it is a way of ending or endorsing prayers. Again, you're familiar with that, right? Someone uh, offers a prayer and they use the word amen to close it out. And those listening, well, again, will sometimes chime in with their own amens as well. And that's what you're saying is uh, when you're saying amen to that prayer that's being offered by someone else, you're saying, I'm endorsing that. Uh, I want to put my name on that prayer uh, that I just heard. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, and you might want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul here is dealing with the miraculous. That, that's what he's dealing with here in the context of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And uh, I've mentioned this before, but, uh, you know, the miraculous is no longer here with us today. But in the first century, uh, the miraculous gifts were all throughout the whole church. And miraculous gifts, try to think of them as scaffolding, right? As the church is being built up, as it's being uh, put together, as revelation is being completed, it's acting as like scaffolding to a building, right? It's there to help put it together. But when the revelation of the New Testament was completed, there's no longer for this scaffolding, right? The, the building has been completed. The church uh, message has been completed. And so the scaffolding comes down. And that's why we no longer have these miraculous gifts today. But one of those miraculous gifts that they had in the first century to help build up the church was tongue speaking. Now, we've talked about this before, how tongue speaking is not what we think of in today's uh, modern religious sense of, you know, just uh, speaking sort of this uh, nonsensical gibberish or uh, this angelic tongue that they might say. Uh, but it's speaking a known language. But the fact is, you've never spoken it before. You don't know how to speak that language. But that was what tongue speaking was in the first century. And in this chapter... Especially in chapter 14, Paul is telling this church here in Corinth that this gift of speaking in tongues, it's useless if there's no one there to interpret what you're saying. You know, if I got up here and started speaking in Spanish, preaching in Spanish, is that going to encourage you tonight? Is that going to edify you tonight? Well, no, because maybe most of you don't know how to speak in Spanish. Or if I went to my office and grabbed my Greek New Testament and started reading from the Greek. Again, is that going to encourage you tonight? Well, no, unless you know how to speak in Greek. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting in verse 13. And notice what Paul is saying here uh, uh, to the church, again, about this instance. He says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit. And I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? You know, basically, Paul is saying here is if you are speaking in a tongue and there's no one there to interpret it to anyone, how are they going to know when to say the amen? When are they going to be able to say that? Because they don't know what you're saying. You know, the prayers that we offer, 
the, the singing that goes on in worship. We need to understand uh, the words because in the end, it's appropriate, as Paul says here, as the early church practiced, to say amen. Right? To say amen. They're endorsing this prayer with amen. That was the practice of the early church. And when prayer is offered on my behalf and I respond by saying amen, again, I am confirming that I'm in full agreement with that prayer. Uh, that, that, that I want to place my name on that prayer because uh, I am endorsing it as well. Amen. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 and 24 uh, you might recall that this is where uh, Peter and John are released from their imprisonment and they go back to uh, the other disciples. Again, Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. And one of the first things that they're going to do is they're going to pray together. And I want you to notice what it says here in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, because it says, uh, When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. And said, and then he gives us the prayer that they prayed. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, uh, maybe if we read that at one point, we might think that they were all praying at the same time, saying the same thing. But we know that's impossible, right? What's going on here is somebody is leading a prayer, but they are all involved in this prayer that the, that's being prayed. They're, they're praying in one accord, uh, Luke says here in Acts chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. It's like uh, uh, the, the last song we just sang, uh, that Brother Kevin just led. Was Kevin singing that song, or was the church singing the song? Well, we were all singing that song. And the same thing when it goes with, with those who lead us in prayer. It's not just the man who stands before us. It wasn't just Wes who was leading that prayer. But we're all with one accord uh, praying that same prayer together. And when, uh, when he closes that prayer with an amen, we too can close that prayer with an amen and say, Wes, I agree with what you're saying. Amen. Uh, my name, I'm putting my name, I'm putting my stamp on that, that prayer as well. That's one way that we see the word amen in scripture. Uh, the second time that we see it is, again, these are very uh, similar, but it's a word that signs my name to the truth. Uh, it's an affirmation. Again, it's an affirmation. Uh, I affirm that this is true. If you looked up the word amen in the Webster's Dictionary, it would say something to the effect of it's used to express solemn ratification. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, it's legal uh, jargon, right? It's saying that I'm giving my formal consent. I'm endorsing it. This is an official announcement by me when I say amen, that I am giving my formal consent to what was just said. And there are a few places in the Old Testament that the people were actually commanded to say amen. Uh, you, you can go and read Numbers chapter 5 uh, later if you'd like, but let's turn to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 27. This is the one that I really wanted to, for us to notice, and uh, maybe you kind of caught the, the, the image, the picture that we had there a little while ago, and that's sort of directed around this scene. Uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, this is Deuteronomy actually means second law. And so this is preparing the people to go into the land of Israel, uh, or excuse me, into the land of Canaan. They've been wandering for those 40 years. Remember, only um, Joshua and Caleb uh, are going to be uh, allowed to go into the land of Canaan uh, of those who were 20 years and above at that time. And so this is a whole new generation that's about to go into the land of Canaan. And Moses is reaffirming the laws that were given uh, back on Mount Sinai and throughout the, the book of Exodus and Numbers. And so here we are in Deuteronomy getting the people ready to go into the land of Canaan. 
And Moses says to them in chapter 27, when you go into the land, I want six of these tribes to go and stand on Mount Gerizim, and you're going to recite the blessings from my word. And the other six tribes, you're going to go and stand on Mount Ebal, and you're going to pronounce the curses uh, that I'm going to give. And then the, the Levites, they're going to stand in the middle and, and they're going to speak the words. They're going to shout the words. And so as, uh, as the, the, the Levites are shouting these, uh, these curses and blessings, the people are going to be one after another are going to be amening what's being said. And if you're in Deuteronomy 27, uh, you know, starting in verse 15, uh, cursed is the man who makes an idol or a molten image, an abomination to the Lord. The works of the hands of the craftsmen and sets it up in secret and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Verse 16, cursed is he who dishonors his father or mother and all the people shall shout, Amen. Why are they doing this? Why are they told that they have to shout, Amen? Because they are affirming these curses that are being stated. They are affirming these blessings that are going to be stated. They're saying, we understand Right? We understand that when we go into this, this, this land that's full of idols and idolatry, we understand that there are certain ways that we, uh, as God's people, have to live. And we, are, uh, and we are putting our full endorsement behind these things. And we are, again, we're placing our names on these curses and blessings. We are saying amen to these things. Because, again, going into the land of Canaan, there's going to be a lot of idolatry there. And so Moses says, okay, here's a curse. Okay, you agree with this? Say amen. Or here's a, here's a law I give. You agree with this? Say amen. And we see one after another after another in that chapter. And the people said amen. Let me give you another example. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6. You know, we're studying this with the, the lads, the leaders group, Nehemiah. Uh, but Nehemiah, uh, of course, this is after the captivity. The people are coming uh, out of captivity. They're coming home to Jerusalem. They're coming home to rebuild that wall. And not only the physical Israel they're trying to rebuild, but they want to rebuild spiritual Israel as well. They want to get uh, the sacrifices back and, and the, the temple back up and running. And so um, as they are doing this, they say, hey, we want to reaffirm our allegiance to God and his word. And so they, they bring in Ezra the scribe. And Ezra, he stands, we're told in chapter 8, verse 3, he's got this podium built for him. uh, And he's up there and he's preaching and he's uh, teaching from the word. And it says from early morning until midday, he reads the law to them. And then in verse 6, it says, then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. See, they were affirming the righteousness of God's word as they listened to it being preached to them all day long. Amen, amen. You know, again, I mentioned, you know, I think we've lost the inclination sometimes to, to uh, amen in a Bible class or, or during a sermon. And think of what that has done uh, when we don't do that. You know, there's less confessing God before men. Didn't Jesus say that if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father? But if you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before the Father? When we aren't doing that necessarily, confessing before uh, the the church or wherever, uh, there's less confession of God's word. Think of the children who 
uh, might not see maybe their father, you know, giving an amen after a great point during the sermon or, or uh, be, having God's word being read. Amen. Or the church, just the church in general, not hearing that as well. Again, some instances we read about in the Old Testament that we just read about, they were commanded to give to do this. We're not commanded as Christians. There's nowhere in Scripture that says you must say this word. But again, think of your brothers. Think of your brothers Paul and Peter and James and Jude and John. They all use these words in, in their letters. They all amen. They were doing this because, again, they were signing their names to uh, the truths that were being spoken. It's a word that signs my name to truth. Thirdly, it's used as an exclamation attached to praise. First uh, Chronicles chapter 16, uh, we, we've got here a, a psalm that's being uh, sung here. Uh, again, in First Chronicles 16 uh, by David and his, uh, his people, they, they wrote this psalm of thanksgiving. And uh, because the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant has come back to Jerusalem... And I just want to skip all the way to the very end of this psalm. Again, there are some psalms that aren't in the book of Psalms. And this one is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And David here at the very end of this psalm writes, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. How do you respond when somebody praises the Lord? Let me ask this in the opposite. How do you respond when someone blasphemes the Lord? We get upset about that, don't we? But what about when someone praises the Lord? You know, to David and the people, they shouted amen. Right? It kind of gives you goosebumps, doesn't it? Or turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Uh, here in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. It's a pretty dark chapter here that Paul's writing about. He's talking about... Uh, unbelief here and um, how people are uh, going away into their depravity. And again, it's a very dark chapter. He talks about how their foolish hearts were darkened. And he talks about uh, the sins of idolatry and pride and homosexuality in, in this instance. But look at uh, chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Uh, Paul writes here, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is the blessed forever. Amen. You see what Paul's doing here as he's speaking to them? He, again, he's giving us some dark imagery about what's going on in the world. But then he reminds them that there is a creator, God. And that brought praise to his mind. And he said, Amen. Amen to the creator. When we see what's going on out in this world, right, the darkness that's going out in the world, that should cause us to react the same way to remind ourselves uh, that we have a God in heaven who loves us. And amen. Right. Praise. Praise God. Amen. The last uh, point that we, do, we want to mention here this evening of how the word amen is used. And maybe this isn't one that we would think of, but it's a name in reference to Jesus. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, and we'll notice this point, and then the lesson will be yours this evening. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is called the Amen. Is that surprising to anyone? It shouldn't be. Uh, think of John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
But Jesus says, I am the truth. What does that mean? What does it mean that he is the truth? Uh, it's a personification that he is the truth. He is the epitome of the truth, right? He is full of grace and truth. Well, the same thing here. Jesus is the amen. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, uh, John writes this. Uh, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. Did you get that? Do you see that in your Bible? The, the word amen capitalized, the amen. That's in reference to Jesus. That's Jesus's name. Appreciate that. Grasp that. Uh, Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16. Uh, and we won't turn here to look, but Isaiah talks about the God of truth. Well, that word truth is also translated elsewhere as amen. He's the God of amen, the God of truth. His name is truth. Amen. One more passage to look at tonight. Uh, if you would turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And let's just look at verse 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Here, it's very similar. Uh, it's not teaching us that Jesus' name is Amen, uh, but it's very similar. Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our Amen to the glory of God through us. You understand what Paul is saying here? He's saying the promises of God. It's not maybe, it's not yes or no, but it's yes. It's amen. Therefore, also through him is our amen. You know, with Jesus, uh, we put all our eggs in his basket, don't we? Uh, we're told in the world not to put all our eggs in one basket, but with Jesus, we put all our eggs in one basket. The, the security of our salvation, uh, our anticipation of heaven, Jesus ruling right now at the right hand of God. All his promises, Paul says here, are yes, and they are amen, right? Because they won't fail, because they are truth. This evening, when we think of that word amen, what do we think of? Um, in the back, you know, I have those, uh, those sermon notes for kids. I don't know if you've ever looked at those, but uh, they ask the kids to you know, put a line every time they hear certain words like Bible or God or Jesus or love or heaven. Well, maybe we should try doing that with amen. Uh, one day, just uh, see how many times the word amen is used uh, within the worship assembly because it's a power word, again, for, for Christians. It's an important word. And it wouldn't be a bad idea for us to go back and to audibly say that word uh, uh, once again. Um, I mentioned, I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that uh, the word amen is often seen in Scripture uh, more than we might notice. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they're talking, recording what Jesus taught, what he taught, sometimes or around 50 times, you know, he'll, he'll begin a statement by saying, verily I say to you, or, or truly I say to you. Well, you know what that word verily or truly is? It's the same word as Amen. Uh, it could just as much be translated Jesus saying, amen, I say to you, or, or verily, verily, I say to you. You know, that's what John does in his gospel. He sort of magnifies that. We read that over and over. Truly, truly, I say to you, or verily, verily, I say to you. Remember in John 3, 5, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Or in chapter 10, verse 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Well, Jesus is basically saying, amen, amen, I say to you. 
It's not just an affirmation with the Gospel of John, but he's given you an affirmation upon an affirmation. Amen, amen, I say to you. Jesus is saying, I'm stamping my approval all over this statement that I'm about to speak. Also significantly, but do you know what the last words in Scripture are? You know, I guess I told you uh, wrong. There's one more passage if you want to flip to uh, all the way at the end. Revelation chapter 22, verses 20 and 21. The very last words of the Bible. Uh, the apostle uh, John records here in verse 20. He says, he who testifies of these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus says, I am coming quickly. And how does John respond to that? Amen. So be it. I, I am affirming that. I want that to happen. Amen, John says. And then the very last verse, 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Just think about that word amen uh, tonight. It, it really does. It conveys our security in Jesus. It conveys our, secure, our certainty of his word, that his word is truth, and that we are audibly, audibly unashamed about being a Christian. When we, uh, when we say amen, when we say I affirm that prayer, uh, when we say uh, I want to put my name on that statement, we are saying so be it. Amen. And this evening, if, uh, as we offer the invitation this evening, uh, if anyone here this evening uh, has not put Christ on baptism, if anyone here uh, is ready to become a Christian, we would love the opportunity to talk with you about that, study with you, speak with you. Uh, whatever uh, we need to do uh, to uh, uh, show you what the Bible has to say about becoming Christian, about putting Christ on in baptism. Again, uh, Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. And we would love to speak to you about that. Or this evening, if you need the prayers of the congregation, uh, if you need the encouragement of the saints here, uh, maybe you just need to hear amen. And someone to encourage you this evening, uh, we would love the opportunity to do that as well as together we stand and sing this song of encouragement.